0: Welcome to the Average Joe's Movie Club Cast, the show where two guys discuss a bunch of movies, including our movie club pick of the show, which we took turns picking from each other's lists that we specifically made for this show, and those, mis- those lists are comprised of movies that we want to see, but for some reason we have not yet done so, and we're making each other do so. I'm one of your hosts, Justin, accompanied by...
1: I am the other host. I'm Joey. How are you today?
0: I'm exhausted. I haven't been watching as many movies as I want to lately.
1: It's the same, actually. Same. I have slowed down from my over one-a-day pace I kept in January.
0: I've been camping the last uh, two weekends in a row with my kids, so I kind of watched half of a movie out in the wilderness uh, off my phone watching a Netflix download. Of uh, American Tale 3 which was not nearly as bad as I was expecting it to be Um, but yeah hoping to uh, kick right back into watching a movie a day um, along with catching up on my letterbox reviews yeah getting this podcast all in order Thanks to those who have already subscribed to our YouTube channel. And if you want to be alerted to uh, new episodes of The Average Joe's Movie Club cast, make sure to subscribe and hit that bell for updates. Right now, I guess we're on track to do one every other week. So that seems like good pace, huh? Yes,
1: yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And yes, thank you guys so much. We greatly appreciate it for you know just two two guys who love movies and are just kind of stumbling about here. We very much appreciate it.
0: Yes, we're definitely young in our um, podcasting career. We spent the last two hours trying to really get a professional setup going and uh, failed miserably. So we're trying something else. But uh, hopefully the audio will be better than last week where we were doing like a secondhand recording. Also, if you have any questions for us, um, we would love to uh, set up a q a part of the show but we need some questions first so if you email the average joes movie clubcast at gmail.com we would be glad to field uh those questions for you
1: yes very much
0: now let me tee up this week's feature uh, movie conversation uh last week joey let us know that from my list he picked the 1993 mexican film chronos warning there will be spoiler discussion ahead This was the first feature film from last year's big Oscar-winning director Guillermo del Toro when he won big with um, The Shape of Water. IMDb synopsis for Kronos, a mysterious device designed to provide its owner with eternal life surfaces after 400 years, leaving a trail of destruction in its path. That's pretty dramatic,
1: I would say. Yeah, for, for sure.
0: All right, Joey. You picked this one, What did you think of Pronos?
1: All right, so um I was pretty excited reading about this. um I love vampires anything to do with vampires so this was this was a very interesting take on vampires. Also, I thought it was um being Guillermo's first movie. you can definitely see um his style and his flair that you expect from his movies in it. Um, but you can also see definitely that it was his, his first real outing. There were some things I liked, things I didn't like. Um, I understand why they didn't stay as much in the beginning in the 1500s with the alchemist who made the Kronos machine. But I would have liked some more of that, maybe spent some more time developing that. Because um, they just jumped from that. They jump to, to like the 1920s when he dies, and then they jump again to like the nineteen sixties when you have all of your characters it really felt felt like that they spent a lot of time or really rather they didn't spend a lot of time uh, with the characters they just kind of rushed everything maybe it was like an hour and a half it felt like it just ran through it really didn't feel like there was a lot of of like me being invested in the characters and then all of a sudden you got Ron Perlman he shows up and like Ron Perlman does in everything I've ever seen him, in, he just shows up, starts wrecking everything. Um, and I mean, it's what he does. And um, but it was an interesting take. And you know, you got this machine, and then you see what it's doing to to the the you know kind of the main character, the older gentleman. You see what it's doing to him, um, you know, and with, with his granddaughter, and you see what the older um, Ron Perlman's uncle. He wants it. What he's willing to do to get it because he's dying. He wants this eternal life. You know all the conflict and everything that goes with it. And then you know you see the ultimate. You know the big final showdown that happens between Ron Perlman and the and the you know the main character. And then he finally you know you know, he kills Ron Perlman and he's like Nah, I'm not. I'm, I'm you know no more. And he smashes the machine even though he knows it's going to kill him because. Ron Perlman's already pushed him off a cliff in his car trying to get this device. he's already dead. And, you know, he knows he's going to kill him and he just, he just does it anyway because he, it's to him, it's not worth it. And he doesn't, you know, the machine's an abomination. Um, I thought it was a, a very interesting take. Um, I think if Guillermo had made this movie, you know, 10 or 15 years later, it definitely probably would have been flushed out. Um, and, you know, felt more like, what we come to expect from from him now.
0: Yeah, I came away thinking um, why on earth is this in the Criterion Collection and the only thing I could really come up with was the fact that it is uh, Guillermo's uh, first movie, so it's kind of a kind of a legacy setter there being in the collection. Um, when I write reviews for um, movies, a lot of times while I'm watching the movie, I'll come up with different like taglines in my head of what I'm, you know, like when I'm taking away from the movie and what the whole half, second half of this movie I was thinking this is such a remarkable premise for a movie with such an unremarkable story <laughs> attached to it um, like I thought the Kronos device itself was really really well done it being this um, gold like medallion and like kind of in the shape of a bug And it would latch on to people and it would have all those needles and stuff going in so that That part was really neat especially like whenever they showed us shots within it of like the bug I guess that the eternal living bug and these gears and stuff. That was all really neat Um, That was some of the best parts of the movie, but then it was just attached to this 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 reluctant hero um, monster kind of Frankenstein character kind of a mixture of vampires and Frankenstein going on that, I mean, like you said, the, the story flies by so fast, like this happens, this happens, this happens, and then it's over. Um, It doesn't really feel like you really spend a lot of time um, getting to know the characters um, beyond a surface level.
1: Yeah. And it's just like, I, like you said, there's a great premise and, I mean, I was so excited reading about it and, get, you know, getting hyped for it. And it just just wasn't there, um, unfortunately.
0: So what did you think of the jumping between Spanish and English in this movie? Because that was pretty bizarre.
1: You know, having seen Pan's Labyrinth and, you know, that being all in Spanish. And then, you know, his other three other movies that I've seen being... Uh, blade or blade 2 was one of the blade movies and then the two hellboy movies you know being in english i wasn't sure what to expect this having ron Perlman in it and then you know it's mostly in spanish and then all of a sudden it's in english and then you got ron Perlman in, in spanish like that was that was a very interesting um uh, way to go it was kind of kind of surprising
0: yeah because like the opening narration is all in english and I was like, oh, I was totally expecting this to be a Spanish-language movie. Okay, it's in English, whatever. And then, you know, we're in Mexico, and then they start speaking Spanish, and then you got Perlman there, he's talking English. It's It was just kind of all over the place. Like, I guess they were maybe marketing this for North America, but wanted to keep the roots in Spanish as well. So that's why they kind of dabbled in both waters. But I didn't really, it didn't wasn't clear why that was the case. And I just... I kind of thought it was kind of weaker for kind of being muddled in that instance.
1: Well, we actually, uh, we, we watched it on the criterion and we picked for the opening dialogue to be in Spanish. So we had that in Spanish and then, uh, so we didn't have that part of it, but yeah, er everything, you know, being Spanish to English and just kind of jumping back and forth. um, Like it it just felt like, you know, he's, he talks in Spanish and then he's just talking in English to these people who speak Spanish and they just understand each other and it just just was very strange.
0: So going back into the story, so we have this main character who he um so he runs an antique shop and he finds um the device. It's kind of fun how in the opening narration that you know they throw around this uh this buzzword alchemist. You're like, "Oh, alchemist. That that sounds like a neat thing." So it they kind of feel like they They use that just to kind of spice up the script. A really good production design element of the movie was whenever they are flipping through this book and they see these ancient drawings of this bug. Um, So yeah, everything around the Kronos device itself I thought was really well done. Um, I just, executing that into um, a story involving these characters, it just seemed to be kind of where the gap was. Um, Vampire-wise, um especially the beginning was pretty interesting how you see the original alchemist like i guess with a steak in him and he's toast and then you get this really weird shot with this person like hanging down with drub blood dripping from from them um so that was neat but it didn't really seem connected to anything so again just maybe not as tied together as maybe what he could have done later on in his career
1: yeah and um Kind of very much like another vampire movie I actually just recently watched, which was Let Me In. It doesn't, it doesn't show vampires in a very glamorous light, like a lot of other movies and, you know, uh, do, you know, so, you know, there's that, you know, yeah, he, you know, both the alchemist who, you know, lived for like 400 years and then, you know, the, the guy, you know, the main character who, you know, owned the antique shop you know, while, you know, he withstained a lot of mortal damage and, you know, was still alive, you you could see, you know, he took the damage, but you could see, like, you know, where the skin came off him, you could see, um, his skull and, you know, he just didn't look healthy, he wasn't regenerating, he wasn't, you know, basically like a Superman just, you know, leaping tall buildings or, you know, that kind of stuff, um, you know, so that was, uh, you know, that was, you know, it's kind of interesting to see those takes on you know, vampirism versus, you know, watching, you know, something, you know, like, you know, like Buffy or, you know, you know, some of those other things where it's just, you know, the are super sexy or they're, you know, super strong and they just do whatever they want, you know, without any regard, unless it's fire, you know, you know sunlight, you know, beheading, you know, steak, all that kind of stuff.
0: That's a really good point you bring up because I really got the sense with the Kronos device kind of being a metaphor for drug. Like at first he doesn't like it but then he like keeps coming back to it and you can kind of see where it's making him feel younger and then, you know, he has this whole like life regeneration process, you know, whenever he gets killed Um, but he's really not up to par and if he probably, you know, reconnects with the device he could probably get there but like I said before, he's this like reluctant to the whole being a monster thing and so he doesn't really let himself go there Um, what was your take on this like Sappy relationship that Guillermo was t- trying to tee up between him and the granddaughter. Like, I could kind of see where he was going, like with making this being really enduring. But at the same part, she was just like so quiet, and it was just like I could see it was kind of be- he was it was being cutesy, but it really didn't do anything for me.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't know. Like she, I guess she was kind of supposed to be there, you know, to get some you know sympathy or something, or supposed to her and the the grandfather together and you're supposed to you know have that emotional connection like oh there's this granddaughter and they're raising them or raising her rather and i just like you said i just i just didn't get it i just didn't i didn't get there just felt so rushed again and it just, i think it all kind of comes back to that um overall for me
0: yep totally hear you there um, it's kind of funny after he does come back and he's all messed up how she's like, Oh, hi, grandfather. You're a vampire. Now here you get in the box. So the, so the light doesn't hurt you. She's like not taken aback by her grandfather being a monster at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, on that side of it, she's still, um, you know, as a kid, I it's still my grandfather. I still love you. You know, not, you know, like a lot of people would be like, Oh, you're different. I don't care about you now. She's just, you're still my granddad. I care about you. You know, I guess that part, you know, you know, that's supposed to be an endearing moment between a, a you know, a kid and her grandfather. So there's that at least.
0: Yeah. And that kind of plays back into the whole, uh, Frankenstein, um, element of it too, because you know, you have Frankenstein in that story where the young girl is like, you know, um, doesn't see him as this monster. Um, which backfires on her in the, the, the Frankenstein story. And you know Guillermo's a big fan of like the Universal Monster movies. You have like Shape of Water where he kind of recreates this um, creature from the Black Lagoon. And then you got vampires in this. And then also that Frankenstein vibe. Another one of the highlights for me was actually the first instance you do see of the grandfather and vampirism kind of coming into effect when he goes into that bathroom. And you have that um, strong steam of him like wanting to lick it off the floor, which was pretty disgusting, but also like it really showed like how desperate and driven he's starting to be by these urges forced upon him through, uh, you know, becoming a monster.
1: Yeah. I actually thought that was a really, a really good scene um, as well. Just, you know, it goes from, he didn't want to do anything with the machine. He used the machine and just like that, he was that, you know, that driven to have that need for blood that he was willing to just, you know, lick blood off of a you know a bathroom floor. Some of the things I liked um, was that uh, Ron Ron Perlman's uncle, you know, the other guy who was trying to get the machine, you know, he had been looking for all of the different. Um, what are they? Angel statues, I think. Yeah, so all the angel statues. That was what the machine, uh, the furnace device, was originally hidden in, within the bottom of an angel statue. So he'd been on this lifelong quest looking for all these different angels, angel statues trying to find the Cronus machine and it really reminded me, I don't know if people have watched Alias, you know, I know we talked about us watching a bunch of binge shows uh, back in on the last episode, so Alias was one I used to watch, um, you know, last about five seasons and the, one of the main villains on that uh, was trying to find this device. He spent his whole life trying to define, find this device and, you know, it had all these different parts and everything, it's a spy show, but... That's kind of what it reminded me of. This dude was looking for this, uh, you know, all all of these statues for years and years and years trying to find this device. I thought that was really cool that, you know, he had bought all these different, you know, statues trying to find just that one. Like I thought that was kind of a cool touch.
0: Okay, yeah, that scene just popped up in my head where, yeah, he's in that big long room and there's this whole, like, hallway full of these statues and bags, yeah that was um that's a good touch now that you mentioned it with his like lifelong quest to find this mythical device um did you happen to notice whenever the grandfather and um the granddaughter like i get broke into the villain's like lair um she she happened to be having uh she had a glow stick in her hand for some reason not a flashlight a glow stick
1: yeah 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 i saw that she also had a glow stick when um When the grandfather was in, like, their bathroom, like, she was, like, looking through, like, a hole in the wall, and she also had a glow stick, and that's how she saw him using the device. Hmm, okay. Yeah. So that's just something that she did was that she used glow sticks. You know, it was the 90s. They used glow sticks.
0: Kind of a cliche ending where you have the uh, bad guy, Ron Perlman, and then the good guy, the grandfather, up on top of a... Building and you have this sign In the background I mean I think we've seen that About a hundred times in movies Um, But it was a real nice touch That Ron Perlman had the blood like all Over his nose and around his mouth um, Kind of showing That he was the monster and not the Grandfather you know that kind of um, Contrast you know who's The real monster
1: I mean yeah it was uh, You know it was a good You know your normal stereotypical ending But you know those are those are good you know For a reason um, you know, it was a good scene where him, um, you know, jumping, you know, basically sparing him and they fall through the roof and, you know, all of that. It was a fine ending in in that sense. Um, and I mean, of course, if any, anybody who has ever seen Ron Perlman in anything, you see him, you, you know he's the monster in some shape or form.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. So what did you rate this on uh, Letterboxd?
1: I gave it two and a half out of five. So you know, if you want to equate that to IMDb, that's going to be five out of ten. So you know, just a, a very average movie. Um, because, I mean, obviously, if you, if you listen to what we've talked about it, there's a lot of good things. Um, just there wasn't there nothing to make it stand out, nothing to make it very great. Um, per se, because you know, like you said, it felt like they just rushed. Uh, not they, but Guillermo rushed through a lot of stuff and left out some character development. You know, you you put some character development in it, it it probably jumps up to to maybe like a 3.5 or a 4, which then he puts it into a 7 or 8 range. Maybe a little bit higher, because like I said, I I love all things vampires. I mean, I've watched every trashy Underworld movie. I've watched every trashy Blade movie. Um, You know, I've watched Buffy. I've watched True Blood. You know, so like vampires, I like them, you know, so which which is why I picked this one to start with.
0: And I ranked it at a 3. Um kind of how where i stand i'm definitely i'm a fan of the five star rating system and at no point in this movie did i ever not enjoy what i was watching so um it was never going to fall under under that three okay mark for me um it just wasn't remarkable like i enjoyed parts about it but nothing at the end of the day i was like oh that was it and so that's what it didn't really go above a three, which would be like a very good. And for me, four is an excellent. And then up from there, I actually have more difficulty rating bad movies than I do good movies, because it's all about how I feel. It's kind of weird to think about how much you hate something, because I'm I generally try to rate things pretty positively. So three stars from me. It was it's a good watch. It's worth seeing for Guillermo's first film, but. It's not a masterpiece by any means and that brings us into our movie discussion um segment of the week which i'm excited to get into because i think we might have um varying opinions on subs versus dubs so you um teed up the last one so i'll i'll dive into this one first being a, a cinephile like i am i watch all kinds of subtitles films um because i would be cutting myself off to this whole wealth of cinema if I was like, oh, I'm just gonna refuse to watch a foreign language film. That being said, when I do dive into a foreign language film, I'm always a little bit hesitant because I'm kind of a slow reader. So sometimes I'll get into these movies and they'll be talking too fast. And so I'll have to pause it, rewind it. And so sometimes like a two hour film might take me two and a half, three hours to complete just because I'm so caught up in the dialogue. Um, If I have the opportunity to watch a dub film like there's a lot of Italian and like Swedish movies Where they they have some excellent dubbing I I prefer to watch the dub to be honest from reading subtitles the whole time I'm like kind of transfixed at the bottom of the screen. I mean, I'm catching Visuals throughout as well, but it's just a more relaxing experience to watch a movie and at the end of the day Um, you do want uh, a film to be entertainment and while I do I do definitely endeavor into the more educational side of film with watching older movies and um, foreign language films. Um, A good dub is, um, I kind of prefer that. Where do you stand in the matter, Mr. Uh, Porter?
1: Well, Mr. Peterson, um, I I must say I'm a little disappointed in you. You being, you know, the big art house, as you said, cinephile movie person here. Um, And I'm more of the actual average Joe here. Um, I want subs on literal everything. I want my English movies with subs. I want my Japanese movies in subs. I want my my. I, it doesn't matter what language is in. I want it in subs. I wish I could go to the movie theater and my English language movies had subs. Um, part of it is like I, I get it. You say you read slow. I read fairly quickly. That that doesn't bother me. I've watched movies with uh, subs on them for so long that if I don't have a movie with subs on it, it actually bothers me, which sometimes some of the ways that I watch movies, I don't get to have subs on them. And like, I have to move the volume up and down because you know, the mixing isn't very good. You get an action scene and it's super loud. So you jack the volume down and then all of a sudden you can't hear anything. Um, they're talking, they're whispering and you don't want to just keep jacking up and down. It's, but that's one of the reasons I like it. Um, You know, sometimes you might, you know, think they say one thing, even if you're hearing it correctly, and the sub will tell you something different, or you might be like, you know, it'll say, this happened. Um, and then I, I especially, or especially Japanese movies, usually the dubbing is terrible. Now, maybe, maybe not with Italian and Swedish films, since you picked those two specifically. I haven't heard, watched a lot of those movies, but dubbing from Japanese is usually terribad. And although sometimes that can lead to some funny stuff, we all all know, you know, like 70s and 80s kung fu movies, some of the dubbing, you know, how, you know, it's just a trope that, you know, they talk and then their mouths keep moving and, you know, that's a thing, but it just, it leads to some bad stuff and... It's just kind of blasphemous to hear the, the art guy be like, Yo, I want dubs.
0: Oh. Goodness gracious. Um, yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying in terms of um bad dubbing, like some of the old martial art films where like like um the dialogue's over but their mouths keep moving. I'm definitely not talking about preferring to see those. Um I I actually haven't seen a lot of those, so I really don't have a strong opinion. Um like I watch Rashomon with the um, English dub and I re- I don't really re- recall being taken out of it by, you know, this different language over obviously the much different um, mouth movements compared to, you know, what English would be. Um, so it sounds like to me if so a lot of people with this argument, they're all about the the director's intent, for instance, like. With the studio Studio Ghibli films, people are like, oh, I want to watch those in Japanese because that's what they were intended to do. Um, like, so let's say for an anime film, so your preference is watching it in Japanese with English subtitles. That's what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I don't watch a lot of anime, but the anime that I have watched is in Japanese um, because a lot of times, and, and you'll you'll see where stuff is lost in translation or it's translated kind of poorly stuff in the story gets lost um where like specifically i actually just had a conversation where a friend of mine was telling me that they watched a uh, ghost in the shell and they're like i don't understand why this is thought to be such this great you know this great anime because they watched it in english and they watched it in japanese and they're like oh like 80 percent of the plot you know got lost in translation um and I know that dubbing now has gotten a lot better. Um, and, you know, I know some people, you know, they want to watch, be able to, you know, like wash dishes or, you know, do stuff around the house and, and you know, not have to focus on reading subtitles because obviously we, most of us aren't going to be able to understand Japanese or, or what have you. Um And then my understanding is for Studio Ghibli, they actually go and hire actual, legitimate, good English actors to do their English voiceovers and that kind of stuff because they're actually a you know, a pretty big-time, legit studio. You know, when it comes to, as far as directors' intent, um, you know, there is something to be said for what they intended and, you know, not losing stuff in translation. Like, I am just starting my trek down Kurosawa's and I have not seen Rashomon. That is on my list. But I could not imagine having watched Hidden Fortress or seven samurai in in English, like that seems almost blasphemous to watch a samurai movie in English. I mean, you like your thing, I like my thing. Yeah, and
0: and for the most part it's always gonna be like um where those samurai movies are going to be in japanese with english subtitles and i just have to deal with it and i do and i watch a lot of that kind of stuff but if i do see that optional english track i'm all about it because that's just that makes it that much easier for me to watch and get through because sometimes i like to try to watch two movies in a night and you know sometimes i can only do one if i'm you know spending a little bit extra time reading and it takes me longer. So it's just a personal preference there. Um, like one thing that came to my mind is like, so Coco, like that's a, you can, you can watch Coco in Mexican language. Um, but I think most people, you know, go into it since it was released in North America in English language. Um, I mean, let's say you have the blu-ray of Coco and you're watching it with your kid. Um, are you going to put on um, are you going to put it out in Mexican language and watch with English subtitles, or are you going to do what it came out as?
1: Well, I mean, it was released in in English, but I mean, that is about, you know, Mexican heritage and Mexican language, and they do speak Spanish down there. So, I mean, the, it, it probably really all depends, but I mean, that was an English language release, was it not? I haven't seen it yet, so...
0: I almost want to say it might, it might have been a dual release because I think it was released in Mexico before it was released in the United States. But you know that's the benefit of animation is they can totally craft it to go either way. And there's not, um, and I don't know how that. You, I think you definitely have some maestros in the sound mixing department that do like do like Italian films with English dubbing, and the the lip movement isn't really that far off. So I don't know how all that works, but. I can. I guess we can agree to disagree. I think you, uh, you definitely hold the integrity of a language in high regard, whereas I like. Uh, well. If I can, if something can be a little easier on me, then I, I take it.
1: <laughs> well, now one thing I will say, and I, I did not know this until uh, my roommate told me. So, um, Suspiria, the the OG one, that that whole movie is dubbed because. Um, you know, it was like in, you know, filmed in Italy and you've got people speaking with the, you have people speaking in like five different languages and that whole movie is dubbed. And that, that is a movie that was dubbed where you can't, you like, you can't even tell, or at least I I didn't having watched it. Um, it's been, it's been a while now. I think I watched it in like October of 2017. Um, like I had no clue, um, that that movie was dubbed. Um, but then, you know, you have some very, really, really bad instances of dubbing, and I'm going to use a like a, a super over-the-top bad example here, and that is the Beast of Yucca Flats, um, where the dubbing is just, uh, well, it's not even dubbing, rather, that's actually a voiceover, but um, rather, Manos, like, there's just really bad dubbing. Um, so, yeah, you've you you, you, you you've got your instances where it, it's really good, and it, it shoots to really good Good things like in Suspiria so you know but which if I'm not mistaken it it, it was dubbed but I'm pretty sure that I watched that with the subs on as well
0: and I think in a lot of cases what they do is they have all these different actors from nationalities and they speak their their own language and they dub after the fact in order to sync it all up and the dollar trilogy is the same way the the Clint Eastwood um, dollar trilogy um They had all the actors speak their native languages and they dumped after the fact. And I think at the beginning of that series, it's not as sharp as what they ended off with in the end. And then you have instances where... Sometimes the subtitles are and it really depends on how the subtitles are written like sometimes they're paced out enough to where a slow re- reader like me can follow along and it never be an issue where I'm pausing, but then sometimes it's so fast and furious I'm rewinding and stopping and rewinding it almost kind of like drag like makes puts me in a bad mood and I don't get as good of an experience with the film because I'm so caught up in reading the stupid dialogue that um some things get lost on me but I mean that's just me. <laughs> and I
1: mean, and that that's understandable. And that wasn't, you know, that's not something I've considered. I mean, I I understand that I actually read and comprehend pretty quickly. But if you know, if you do read, you know, slower, and you know, it takes you a little bit longer to process. Then yes, having having to read the subs and not have English, um, is you know, especially if you're you know reading you know something in Japanese or Italian or you know German or whatever it is that's coming out behind it, and you. Can't pick that up, then yeah, that's going to make for a bad movie watching experience. And you know, it, it could be, you know, it could be the greatest movie of all time, you know, whatever whatever you consider it to be. And now, now you're not going to like it because you're, you know, like you said, you're having to stop and pause, and that takes you out of the movie. And now you're frustrated. And you know, it could be, you know, the best masterpiece, and it's just now it's not because you don't care.
0: But yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I watch plenty of subtitle films, and just. As a, a movie um, enthusiast, you know that's just something you kind of do, but um, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch two English language films tonight, and it's going to be a, a much uh, smoother experience, um, even though um, I'm not watching. Because I also try to watch a Criterion at least every other day, and a lot of those I want to see are all... Foreign language films. We're going into the next portion of our show. We have um, The Challenge. And last week, I challenged Joey to watch In Bruges, which he um, did not seem the happiest about. I'm not sure why. Joey, how was In Bruges?
1: All right. So In Bruges um, was uh, was an okay movie. Um, it, It was not my favorite. I tried to keep an open mind going into it. Again, it was a movie that I'd basically been browbeat into trying to watch for a few years now, which of course did not make me any happier about having to watch it. Um, I'm not a huge Colin Farrell fan, which was one of the main reasons I didn't want to watch it to start with. Um, But I tried to keep an open mind going into it. Um, I think I watched it, yeah, I watched it right after the Super Bowl, I think. Like I said, they're, they're okay. So there were things I enjoyed about it. The movie itself, gorgeous. All the shots of Bruges, all the cobblestone, all the big Gothic buildings, um, the canals, all those shots, great. Loved them. Um, Ralph Fiennes as the villain, as Harry, fantastic. His character, awesome. The the premise of you know. What he had to do, why he was there, you know, um, you know, Colin Farrell spoilers, people. Colin Colin Farrell uh, had had executed a priest, and in the process, accidentally shoots a kid. That's why they're hiding out in Bruges. Uh, the extra hitman um, has been told to kill Colin Farrell. He decides not to do it. Harry's like, hey, it's a matter of honor. I can send in the goon squad. Nah, I'm coming to do it myself. And then everything that goes down between them, um, is awesome, and, you know, he's, he's in the, you know, he's chasing him through the inn, you know, they leave the pregnant woman alone, they leave the hotel, he accidentally blows the head off of the dwarf, thinks the kid kills himself, that's very awesome. Everything else, like, between that, well, the the scene where Colin Farrell shoots the blanks in the guy's eyes, blinds him, that's all really cool. Everything else, it just felt really like I I don't know like it wanted to be this super cool movie and I just didn't think that it was a really super cool movie like had people tell me it was like Snatch Light or you know is this really you know really you know super cool crime movie and there's a lot of stuff that happens and you're gonna love it and I just I didn't I didn't see it like I said nothing nothing about it attracted you know like that to me i don't think it is a bad movie i i rated it two and a half you know again so five out of ten um very very average movie it's just nothing that i felt the need to write home about uh, or anything like that it was just a, a very in my opinion very average movie
0: i i don't really know what to make of that opinion you sound you made that you really made that review sound pretty good but at the same, it didn't time. It didn't do it for you. Um, I look back through my Letterbox review. I watched this sometime last year, and I was really expecting kind of a snatch movie. And I was uh, delighted that it kind of had. It was kind of snatch, but kind of artsy at the same time, because it really played up this whole like heaven, hell, purgatory kind of aspect, where this this hitman like he's dealing with this like terrible sin, and he's like trapped in. Bruges, which is kind of like this purgatory state, and there were some really artsy moments. Um, like I said, I hadn't seen it in like a year, but um, I enjoyed all those those artsier moments. And then there was some really good um, British uh, banter going back and forth, kind of like in Snatch, between uh, Colin and uh, his uh, compatriot in action there. And this was the, the first feature film by uh, Martin McDowell, which, uh, did you ever see uh, Three Billboards over um, Ebbing, Missouri?
1: no i've heard i've heard some good stuff about it but i haven't i haven't seen it
0: so yeah this was my first uh martin McDonald movie and um really enjoyed it and then i enjoyed um Thrill bill three billboards as well and then I saw his uh, th- his second feature seven psychopaths and that really didn't do anything for me so um I would say this is my second favorite of his uh three films um i enjoyed it a lot i'm kind of surprised you didn't but um I guess it just, uh, what would you say your main thing you
1: didn't like about it was? I really don't like Colin Farrell. Like I don't like Colin Farrell at all. Um, I also, when it comes to super British movies, it is very, very hit or miss, which was one of the reasons I didn't watch snatch for a long time. Cause I was, gonna, was very, just didn't think I was going to like it. Um, also, especially having not liked lock stock and two smoking barrels. Um, you know, and the vote being by uh, Guy Ritchie, this just like I said, there were there were things that were, that were that were really good. Um, like another thing that I really like is when uh, and I don't remember the character's name, but it, it's Colin Farrell. like you said, his compatriot. Um, he's he jumps out of the tower and he, he he tucks his gun away and he tries to give it to Colin Farrell. And you know, so many times you see in a movie where you know someone does something crazy, they take a ton of damage or you know something like that. And, you know, they hand somebody something or, you know, something's not destroyed and, you know, the dude lands on the gun and he goes to hand it to Colin and the, and the gun is destroyed. Like I thought, like I never even would have thought about that because so so desensitized in movies and the gun's just destroyed. Like I thought that was a really nice touch, but it just, the the end of the movie was, was actually good. I enjoyed the end, but just getting to that, I just, I just didn't enjoy it. Um, Now you're, when you mentioned the thing about, you know, being heaven, hell and purgatory, that, you know, that kind of stuff. That that actually never like came to me, and that's that is pretty good. Um, I do, I do see that. Um, and, and like I said, there's a reason. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't say, oh my god, this is like a one, like a one movie or one and a half. You know, there was some good stuff, but um, I did not like Seven Psychopaths. I did see that movie. I remember thinking, you know, I remember it had Chris Walken in it. I also went, oh, man, this movie's going to be awesome, and I remember watching that movie kind of the whole time, just going, like, "What? what is going on here? So, that you know, maybe it's just that director as well. I just, you know, maybe I just don't dig on his style. But, I mean, I've heard Seven Billboards is really good. It was nominated for a good amount of stuff, was it not?
0: Yeah, it was nominated for Best Picture. It was my favorite movie of, um in the oscar running uh last year but there was some it was had some controversy so people were picking on it as well um seven psychopaths felt kind of aimless um that's one of the main reasons i didn't like that even though it was kind of had this deconstruction um to it kind of meta um but yeah if you don't like colin farrell like um or yeah colin farrell um, I can definitely see how him being so agitated throughout the first part of this movie with being stuck in this hotel room uh, could m- maybe get kind of under your skin. So, all right. So um, that brings us to the second part of the challenge. The next next time, what, uh, what are you challenging me to watch?
1: All right, this is what I'm going to challenge. And this is going to go back into our discussion we were just talking about in subs versus dubs, Because this is definitely... Uh, foreign language movie it is in indonesian um and it was not on your letterbox that you had watched this this is a movie i uh enjoy a lot it is directed by gareth evans came out in 2011 this is the raid redemption
0: okay yeah i've been meaning to watch um those uh intense um martial art movies uh the raid the raid redemption and I think Battle Royale is into those same lines. Have you seen that one?
1: Oh, Battle Royale, yes. Battle Royale, though, is, is not quite, is a lot different than the Raid the Raid Redemption and the Raid 2. Battle Royale is Japanese Hunger Games. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Yes. And um, that is, side note, um, oh, God, I just forgot the character's name. That is where um, Quentin Tarantino discovered the girl that ended up playing GoGo in Kill Bill.
0: Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch um, the raids uh, movies, and uh, this is the perfect reason to do so. So I appreciate the challenge. Yes,
1: and it'll be easy because if I'm not mistaken, it is on Netflix. Oh, great! Yes. Um. So, like I said, I love it. I will probably also just rewatch it since I'm challenging you to watch it. Um, because that that movie is just straight fire.
0: All right, and um now turning to uh pick flick and i was looking through your recent filmography and i'm very curious to what you thought of mr gaspar no irreversible which you watched recently
1: i did watch that um i have a, a list on my letterbox um called um the disturbing list um this this is one we, we decided to pick and watch I actually, I got this one of, of the movies we've been talking about. This was uh, three stars. Uh, I like this movie. Um, so things being out of order for me, not really a problem usually. Because, again, my, my love for Quentin Tarantino, we all know he does not like a straight line. Um, but uh, the beginning of the movie, which is the end of the movie, Um, I actually had no clue what in the hell is going on because of the camera and kudos to the director because that was what he wanted
0: I've seen a couple of Gaspar Noe's films now I've seen Enter the Void and Irreversible and he is definitely all about pretty extreme stuff but in a very 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 stylistic way Um, I'm meaning to watch his uh, film I think it's called um, Love on um, Netflix irreversible though it's an interesting one. A lot of people think it um, consider it you know one of these really really disturbing films. I had kind of an interesting experience with it because in being told backwards um, you really don't get the emotion out of that infamous rape scene that you would if it was told um, regularly. Because, you know, throughout, I mean, spoiler alert, um, throughout the course of the film, you find out that she's pregnant and you feel, you know, you get to know her a lot better. But like during this rape sequence, I mean, as detached and eerie as it is, you know, you really don't know the person. So it it doesn't really hit you as hard as it could. And so that made it a really confusing, um, interesting watch for me um not being able to completely connect with this person until i mean and because the second half of the movie is way before that ever happens when you're actually getting to know her so it was a very interesting uh way of telling a film and and reduce the amount of agony i think um people would feel if they knew her a lot better um during that moment
1: yeah i think i think this whole movie is is a slow burn Because like I said, I, at the beginning of the movie, like, honestly, like, I don't know what Roland X would be like, but I, I, I feel like I was Roland X at an EDM concert because like, I, I had no clue what was going on. I just know they were saying faggot like every other word. Um, and then there was someone in a cop car, they were at like a gay bar and then all of a sudden, you know, like every, every time the scene moved, the camera would shoot to the top. Like and then all of a sudden the camera stops shaking, it stops rolling, and you've got this hard focus camera. You've got Monica Bellucci's character, and dude is just just hard going to town. Like it is, um, you know, like like you said, it's that hard rape scene. Now that that was a pretty gruesome rape scene. Like it's. I mean, I've seen. I spit on your grave. I've seen last house on the left. I've seen the original. I spit on your grave. Like, like it's up there with those. And it was, it was long, and it was just, it was just hard. Like the camera's focus. Like it basically looked like she was recording something on her camera. It fell and just sat there like the whole time. And like I, I think it's one of those movies. Like now that you've seen the movie, you know what happens, and you, you finish the movie. You know that you know her and her boyfriend had gotten pregnant, and they were all super happy and ecstatic about it. And you went and watched it again. I think everything would be even that more poignant, that much more disturbing. The the beginning of it is just it it took me so out of the movie at the start, and I guess that's what he wanted. Like he wanted you to be so so disconjointed. But I was just so out of it at the beginning. But like overall, I mean, it was it was a good movie. It was a lot of you know, a lot of good film work and then like when you get to the, to the end, especially after the rape scene, you know, and they're at the party and then they're at home and just all, all of that, all of that, you know, was just great acting, you know, a lot of great film work, you know, just camera work and everything about the rest of that was really good. But this, the beginning of it was like, I had to ask like what even happened because I, I had no earthly clue. It was just, it was so discombobulating.
0: And I might be mistaken, but um, you can really kind of tell Gasper's um, um, fandom of like Stanley Kubrick because I think there was some kind of um, 2001 poster towards the end, and you kind of have this cosmic feel with like at the very end with the um, with the camera spinning out, um, looking at her, uh, I think her her belly, so. Yeah, he's definitely a talented filmmaker. I'm looking forward to watching his newest film that came out um, just this last year, Climax. So he's definitely, I've, for the most part, I've seen, seen that he's more style over story, but in the best way possible. <laughs> right, so we're, we're starting to run short on time. What um, what, what what movies do you have uh, coming up in your queue that you're going to probably watching soon?
1: I'm um, hoping actually to, to watch MI2. Um, even, I saw it a long time ago, but I'm hoping to, to watch that so I can get into MI3 and then get, start getting into like the, the newer ones because I've heard it or nothing, but really, really good, uh, you know, good action movies. And, um, I think we're actually going to watch Yojimbo and the, uh, the dollar trilogy. Um, you got to watch, yeah, cause you know, Yojimbo was the, you know, basically what they based it off of. I think that's what I got coming up, hopefully, in the next week or so, is some combination there and of those.
0: Okay. Um, I actually had a pretty good, uh, well, an emotional but uh, fantastic film watched last night. I watched uh, Schindler's List, I think, for the third time I've seen it. And, man, I mean, you know going into that movie you're going to cry, and then it breaks your heart all over again.
1: Yeah, that one's so. that one is definitely on my list to watch. I've got a three hour tour list on Letterboxd. I just haven't got there yet. Um I know that one's gonna be that one's gonna be a rough one.
0: So I'm looking forward to writing up my Letterboxd review on that and um I had mentioned this to you earlier in the week. There's this uh ten hour Holocaust documentary called Shoah. And I think I'm going to start watching that in like one or two hour segments because I I just need to get through it. I mean, it's part of the Criterion Collection. It's like one of these most important films ever made, this staggering documentary about the Holocaust. So I think I'm going to start chipping away at Shoah, try to get all that under my belt within maybe a week or two weeks um, time frame. So that's what's coming up for me. But what's coming up next for the show? So I definitely looked over your uh, movies and wanted to pick the, off from the ones that I haven't seen before, which included like Jay Edgar and that new uh, Rachel Wise film, I believe. Um, but what I thought I would go out of the box a little bit from what I would normally pick. Um, Denzel Washington's great. So let's see what we think uh, next week of um, He Got Game is going to be the next uh, pick for the average Joe's movie club cast should be interesting to see, uh, Denzel.
1: Um, Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I am stoked for that. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. So
0: I think those are the three uh, films, uh, disobedience, Jay Edgar, and he got game that stood out that I definitely hadn't seen before. But, um, yeah, I decided, uh, to go with, uh, with Denzel. I think it'll be an, um, kind of a change of pace after watching some of these more foreign language, um, artistic films the last, uh, Two weeks so I think that was plenty of a uh, movie talk for uh, this week <laughs> I really appreciate your uh, time Joe and
1: I appreciate you Justin
0: <laughs> definitely make sure you uh, hit that subscribe button and the bell notification if you enjoy the average Joe's movie club cast we'd appreciate to get any questions you have just um, send that to the Gmail in the um, about section of the channel and with that, we will wish you adieu. Have a good one.
1: Yes, I'll have a great night. Thank you again so, so much. We really appreciate it. Have a good night.